Hello and welcome to another episode of the Kids Media Club podcast. I'm Andy Williams. I'm Emily Horgan and Joe Redfern hasn't been able to make this one, but I'm sure she's listening on and will give us notes afterwards. <laughs> um, we are here uh, with Dennis Cushell from Precise TV. Um, we're here to speak all things YouTube. Dennis has a really great broad background in YouTube. Um, he's been working on YouTube since before it was cool, um, in-house and then at Tubular Labs, which is a major um, data provider on YouTube channels, data and strategy and, uh, and insights. And most recently, he's at Precise TV. So Dennis, you're really welcome. Would you like to tell us what you're doing at Precise TV now and, and, and what Precise TV are doing within this market? Yeah, thanks, Emily. Thanks, Andy, for having me on the show. I'm a big fan of um, the podcast, so it's good to be here. Surreal when I listen back. Um, so, yeah, what I do um, at Precise TV, uh, we basically help companies get more from their digital advertising spend, uh, predominantly on platforms like YouTube and mobile gaming. And that's where we build some key technology. And it's really around contextual advertising. Um, so picking the best placements on YouTube or the best apps in mobile gaming. So yeah, that's what I'm doing today. But yeah, I've been in this space a long time, kind of on the buy side and the sell side. At Tubular, we worked with a lot of media companies, uh, which I think a lot of your uh, listeners will be on the media company side or content side. So yeah, yeah, about 20 years experience in online video. So looking forward to talking about this today. Yeah, and that timing is actually really salient. Um, Myself and Joe were involved in a panel at Kids Screen regarding YouTube. And one of the points that we made is like YouTube is now grown up. It's able to vote. It will be able to drink in the UK. Yeah. Um, it's kind of at like it's 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 pa- like it's at, to say it's matured. It's past maturity, right? Like it's established yeah. in the landscape. Um, but it's been on such a journey with kids over the years. And it must have been interesting, particularly from an advertising point of view, to be tracking that. Because obviously one of the key things that hit in 2019 was the apocalypse. The yeah. made for kid made for kids advertising um uh yeah re- requirement that came in um i know in the uh, as part of the panel we were talking about how that really took a sledgehammer to the revenue generation that maybe kids brands were getting on there particularly creator brands were getting on there so what have you seen in the kind of the journey the 20 years that you've been working on this and and like with that kind of f- focus on kids yeah, and, and 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 I forgot to say earlier, like at Precise TV, we we are COPA certified, so we we work a lot in the kids space. Um, so what have I seen on that journey? Yeah, it's interesting. I was thinking about this before we uh, sat down this morning, and I remember being at Google back in Dublin. I started in two thousand and eight, and I remember being there two thousand eight to ten, and seeing like which channels were kind of monetizing well like in those really early days because the youtube partner program was quite early back then and it was like it was like gaming people i actually watched the sidemen netflix documentary last night it was good if you haven't watched it already i'd recommend it uh brought me back to some of those days but like Mm. gaming channels and i started to see like kids nursery channels starting to do well and the algorithm was so basic back then. It was literally just like, get a nursery rhyme up, you'll get at the top, get traffic. People like Little Baby Bum did really well back then. And um, and yeah, and, and back then, those channels monetized really well because that a change in MFK in 20, 2019, uh, MFK standing for Made for Kids, where Google 
basically turned off any audience targeting on made for kids content um that had the ad apocalypse i always kind of mm-hmm. laughed at that phrase and um but like back then kids channels monetized really well because it was like the full capabilities of audience targeting and stuff on them and um but back then it was like oh god it really media companies thought YouTube wasn't a good place and dogs on skateboards used to get referenced to us all the time when we were selling YouTube <laughs> at YouTube, which we hated. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, from 2008, 2015, I was at Google and it was interesting seeing during that time, like how advertisers appetite opened up more and more, particularly like younger um, advertisers focus on younger audiences, teenagers or like toy advertisers um, but, uh, yeah. And on the, on the kids side, just seeing how the content developed so much and it was great, wasn't it? Like companies like Moonbug coming in and bringing so much investment into the space to really, um, take some of that IP that did so well and bootstrapped, um, mm. and make it into these big franchises. And now what we're seeing is just YouTube's much larger, than any other platform for kids engagement. Uh, we do some research where we see it's like eight and 10 kids it basically reaches. Uh, YouTube Shorts is getting really popular now as well. So it's been an incredible journey. Yeah. Yeah, and I suppose it's, I kind of feel like it's that 3.0 phase. Like there was that first wave yeah. of creators, you know, both on the animation side, but also like on the influencer side, I, you know, in that I would kind of go, I would think, Baby Bum was like the the OG Nursery Arm channel. Um, yeah. Creators like the Zoella and that whole crew were like the, yeah. the OG kind of influencers. Then there was kind of 2.0. So that was like Coco Melon, who was like, take the Baby Bum uh, model and like blow it to the next level. Um, and then arguably like in the 2.0 creator, on the creator side, you've got people like the Sideman, Mr. Beast. But now nearly when, it, when you're thinking of kids specifically, it's 3.0 because there isn't a creator now who will be able to come up the same way, right? There, there needs to be a new reinvention of the model. Um, and that's something that came up on the panel, like the need to kind of have that multi, multi-revenue multi strands from the get-go when you're thinking of building a digital brand. You can't just depend on the YouTube money to kind of pay your bills. Yeah. It, it needs to be like that franchise approach that Moonbug are, are doing so well at. Um, that yeah. kind of that kind of feels like that's the journey to me. And then also then the yeah. parallels with what YouTube went through, which what with, with what new digital platforms are going through, like, you know, uh, Ro- I, Roblox and TikTok are kind of feel like they're obviously yeah. probably a decade behind YouTube, but are still having some of those growing pains, how to define monetization and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I think, I, I think actually when I was at Tubular where we used to work with a lot of people in the kids space, like E1 and companies before they got bought by Hasbro and others like Peppa Pig, like people who really leaned in to putting their TV content on YouTube early, really benefited like Peppa Pig. And they, and, and what we see at Tubular was like YouTube in media companies used to get put in like the marketing team or like revenue generation team. And if you were in the marketing team, they weren't as worried about the money and it was distribution. And that IP usually went much further and broader. Um, but there might be some limitations around how much uh, the length of the episodes and everything. But in the purely YouTube needs to pay for itself, that really, uh, those people didn't get a good head start. It was a wrong way to look at it, um, mm. I noticed. And yeah, I think with Roblox, TikTok, 
and I think the environment around like um uh like just I guess uh, like a, a highly regulated area how some of these platforms are much more careful in this 3.0 phase about what they do in terms of turning on monetization or branded content and uh yeah and, and the likes of tiktok who um haven't really leaned into the kids side obviously um so it's it's fascinating to see but it'll be amazing amazing to see do they take similar journeys to youtube or not i had a kind of just a follow-up question on that was it almost feels like YouTube is now the mainstream platform that is uh, there was a long period in which it was the disruptive force. And within that wave, there was a lot of opportunities for smaller creators and people to yeah. kind of just sneak in and really kind of ride that wave. Um, are there opportunities now for smaller creators, do you feel like, within that space? Or is it now become an arena that is going to be dominated by big budgets and big bigger brands yeah. yeah like i think definitely it's gotten more competitive uh, like there's more people i remember some study before that like uh, us kids their number one ambition was to be a youtuber number two was an astronaut or something remember that study got quite a bit of press so i think um youtube built this amazing um ad monetization model that a lot of the other platforms are trying to catch up on as well, right? Where people benefited from putting the content up there. As a result, there was an inflow of creators. Uh, but at the same time, I think YouTube had some issues like you had to, like barriers to entry. You had to do a long video, good thought process for creating that video, um, storyboard. You had to be a good editor, so on and so forth. So there was some barriers. I think now we're seeing with TikTok and shorts, the barriers to entry are much lower um, in terms of like short videos, quick videos. Um, I think there's a great opportunity out there right now for people with YouTube shorts because it's not very competitive. Um, it's only more opened up to kids and family more recently. It's not being monetized that effectively. So you don't have people jumping in as much who are big because they're not making much money from it. So I think I think there's always opportunities. I think uh, right now, I would say short is an opportunity if you can get your format working well there. And I think younger audiences, um, there's always new trends and new things um, that are like bubbling up. Um, yeah, and people kind of riding on those trends. I remember when I was at Google, we noticed like some channels pop up that were doing really miniature cooking. It's a Japanese kind of art where they had these like tiny little pots and spoons and stuff. And that became a little subculture in there, you know. So I think there's always <laughs> wow. these kind of trends as well popping up. Yeah, that you can jump on. Can I put you on the spot for something, Dennis? Sure. <laughs> I, want, can I you, hope so I can like, answer. Well, like, it's this, the advertising thing. So the 2019 happened, the MFK thing yeah. came in. So previously, you were able to target kids based on, like, what's the difference? What was that change? Are you able to explain that change to us? Yeah, sure. Um, so basically, um, YouTube uh, as a platform um a lot of it was like audience-based targeting, meaning okay. that, um, meaning that like most advertisers, uh, let's forget about kids for a second, but like most advertisers on a brief will be like, okay, I want to target uh, 18 to 35 year old males or females or whatever. Then most people put into their plan, 
I want to target 18 to 25 year old males or females. Um, you could never on YouTube target like anyone younger than that. Uh, but uh, all of the content on YouTube had audience capabilities. So if there was a shared account with a parent and a kid, um, the advertiser might think they're reaching uh, a 30 to 35 year old person. But if it was Peppa Pig as an example, uh, some co viewing going on there, but there would be advertising there, which is an issue uh, with Copa. So um, that change in 2019 uh, was basically mm -hmm. saying, okay, any of the content that probably has a lot of um, children consuming it, but obviously Google was not tracking if kids are consuming it or not, but it was just more that like kids Editorial were- Editorial uh, kind of call on it. Yeah, that like uh, there's probably a large percentage on this. So then they made a change to basically remove any of the audience targeting or whatever. So then you could only contextually advertise to that. Um, like that means I get a channel or I get a video. And and actually that's where the opportunity for the company I work with today, Precise TV, we basically build technology at scale to do video-based advertising contextually. Um, so to answer your question, that was the change that took place. And that meant that a lot of like media companies, the ad apocalypse, all of those budgets that like go in and pick parents targeting, it could no longer serve on all of this kid's content. So yeah. they then fell back on only people who would like contextually advertise. Yeah. Which is not yeah, the majority. Sorry. That's so helpful just to hear it kind of broken down because like we kind of we've heard of it, but it's not necessarily always like, yeah, it's, thank you for that's that. that. Yeah, that's incredibly useful because sometimes those things um, you hear about them and then people just assume that everyone understands the the detail of of what transpired there. And then if you're like me, you're kind of almost a bit embarrassed to say, well, go right back to the beginning. Yeah, I yeah. realized I didn't really understand that. Yeah, hopefully it was useful for others as well. And and I think that that actually created an interesting dynamic. We saw at Tubular was like, you know, a lot of people who made a lot of money on YouTube then started making much less. And actually, it was yeah. a great opportunity for people with capital like Moonbug and others because the valuation of those channels and stuff kind of decreased. But it was still amazing That's IP and was still getting amazing viewership. Um, it just wasn't monetized that effectively on YouTube. But as we all know, you can monetize IP so well in so many different areas. Um, and, yeah. and just following up on that, has was there was there almost like a, a a quite a dramatic reaction to the change in um, the way advertising and operated yeah. on YouTube, and has that kind of risen back a bit from a dip? Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 is, yeah. Is yeah. More Great question for creators to make money from uh, advertising on YouTube than than might have been immediately after that change. Yeah, a great question. Um, once that change initially took place, like like what I just explained, most people did not understand, like a lot of marketers. And if you think about like a lot of people who advertise in kids space, they would have been big TV advertisers, like toy advertisers. And I think a lot of them are missing those TV days. It was very simple. You know, you plan, there's X shows, more limited shelf space. Now it's so oh, fragmented. Yeah. If you're so, a media company, you could buy out a kind of like a month's advertising and then just sell 
sell that in bulk. Yeah, no, amazing time. Yeah. So basically overnight, all of these marketers um, at toy companies, entertainment companies, so on and so forth, had to up level. They had to really understand how to connect with kids and family audiences at scale contextually. And uh, that 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 means you need to bring in new talent, younger talent into your digital marketing teams. Um, for a lot of like big agencies, you know, they've built their businesses off of TV advertising as well and the commercial deals that are in place there and stuff. So it wasn't always in their incentive to move <laughs> to YouTube that quickly. Um, so, but what we've seen over time is just YouTube is so dominant in terms of the audiences. So a lot of toy companies had to change or mm. uh, they were just losing touch with those audiences or not getting enough reach. Like I remember seeing a slide recently. It was a Nielsen slide. I'll, I'll share it with you afterwards, which you can share. And it was like in the US for six to 11 year olds that it's there's only 27% reach anymore in linear and cable in the US. Whoa. So yeah. That's and you can't get any, <laughs> yeah. And you can't get any higher. So, and, and Emily, that was something I was saying to you recently about yeah. like this audience, particularly of like six to 11 year olds, uh, yeah. they're so fragmented. They're so big in gaming. Our latest research shows that like mobile gaming, 60% reach for them, 80% reach on YouTube. So, yeah. So I think advertisers are like really struggling to reach them. Yeah, because the thing is, like, I feel like YouTube is kind of like sewn up on preschool. We know what works. We know, like, you know, there's lots of great examples. Coco Melon being YouTube native IP. Gabby's Dollhouse having, you know, being a, a more traditional, yeah. a traditional format, but also having a really great YouTube presence. So preschool feels like it's kind of, it's a bit of a more of a known quantity. But this six plus audience is really tricky. And like, I when I think of content that is slammed on competing to them, Okay, yeah, the Sidemen, Mr. Beast, um, get, like that gamer, like kind of let's play kind of content. But it's, you know, it's, I can't, I, I could probably name you, you know, 20 preschool IP that I know are huge on YouTube for, you know, for that audience. Yeah. Whereas six plus, it's just, it's a harder sift. So how are, yeah. how are advertisers reacting to that? What are you seeing there? Yeah, uh, we're seeing that um, advertisers are starting to um, really try and understand it more and how okay. to effectively um, <clears throat> reach individuals within that category. I think um, I think one thing you mentioned as well, like Mr. Beast as an example, or like there's a there's um, um, a creator called Ninja Kids who's very popular with that audience as well. The one thing with those audiences, like Mr. Beast as an example, he's very popular from like six all the way up to... I watch him every once in a while. <laughs> so he's getting into the 40s even. So uh, he's he's popular. He's really popular between six and 20 year olds, I guess. You know, yeah. it's a large yep. spread. So that's impressive, if though, because it's it's hard to stay cool, particularly when you're getting when you're going yeah. to get to up through those those teen years. Like if your six year old brother or sister is watching something that can sometimes not be that cool. Right. Like that's really impressive. Yeah. Yeah. But I think for an advertiser, that's tricky because um, in the past for TV, let's just say you'd Paw Patrol, maybe, which has a lot of that audience. Maybe it's a bit young, actually, but um, uh, something a bit, a little bit SpongeBob older. SpongeBob or whatever. SpongeBob. Great example. 
like SpongeBob yeah. really would be like that kind of six to 14 um, mm-hmm. where it's more concentrated yeah. while six to 20 is a bit too broad for me. I don't want too much wastage. So then you kind of have I to go that. and look at level below Mr. Beast and it's like, okay, where is it most concentrated? And what we found is like things like Minecraft, Fortnite, Roblox, very concentrated for that audience. Um yeah, and, and and as well, mobile gaming, like uh, we find that um, it's interesting as well. You know, we saw something recently, it was Nielsen data as well about Angry Birds. Uh, guess what the average o- audience age is for Angry Birds? Ah. And it's going to be older, isn't it? Like 30. <laughs> 34. Yeah, is the average age wow. for Angry Birds. Well, like a lot of people who are media planners and stuff would be like, Angry Birds is probably young kids, but it's not. So you then have to go find all these apps that are like relevant the new Angry contextually. Birds, exactly. And smaller. Yeah. Like the Angry Birds is another Mr. Beast problem, too broad. Um, so anyway, uh, I forget what was That's the question now, but yeah. I, I wonder I wonder as well whether as kind of the audience gets older whether you're seeing more and more people kind of on TikTok rather than YouTube um, if they're kind of eight years and above. But I think the problem for creators on TikTok is that the algorithms kind of, um, they promote trends and topics, but they don't promote creators. So, So to kind of really be able to kind of hack their algorithms, you almost need to have you need to be attaching yourself to whatever topics or mm. themes that yeah. they're promoting but it but yeah. it's not as it's not such a conducive space to creators as something like youtube is oh yeah like tiktok basically said every video needs to stand alone by itself i don't care how many followers you have it's going to be all algorithmic based on a video level so uh but as we talked about earlier an opportunity if now the opportunities around trends and topics, that was kind of like the early days of YouTube. So mm. it's an opportunity for people who want to be big on TikTok. And yes, TikTok has massive audiences, particularly for 6 to uh, 14. Um, our latest research, which is a precise advertising report for kids, shows that TikTok's reach is about 40% in the US for 2 to 12, but actually it's much higher for that 6 to 12 yeah. audience. Yeah. Wow. And I suppose yeah. the thing about the thing I feel feel like TikTok really hacked is niche virality. You know, going viral on YouTube back in the day was like uh, Harlem Shake or yeah. Uh, yeah. Gangnam Style or do, do you know yeah. what I mean? Like the, it was those yeah. really really big global Viral. things. Yeah. Whereas with with um, with TikTok, it's that kind of niche virality. So you can be like yeah, like I don't know if you're on Britney Peach Talk. That was like a whole. Um, firing thing with Cloudflare, like there's like oh it's, it's sorry, like I did whole... watch it. <laughs> oh, did I did you watch get that? it. Yeah, so but like yeah, not yeah. maybe not many people were on that. Like I know I was talking to people. Yeah, and like, what are you on about? Like but but like she had like one of my friends WhatsApped it to me. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly right. So but there's like yeah. these little the pools of virality are there's a lot of potential there, and also because you can kind of if you know they've seemed to manage to kind of hack like hitting somebody's interests really well so that like if yeah. you're kind of vaguely interested in uh, HR issues I guess I I'm on HR talk I don't know what that says about me but like <laughs> you know you, you get that and it's sticky to you and it might not be sticky to everybody and certainly wouldn't be sticky to a younger like you know to, yeah. a, to an eight-year-old but like that's there's power in that because there's quality of audience you know yeah 
Oh, it's amazing, the TikTok uh, platform. I keep getting rid of it off my phone. It's so addictive a lot of the time. <laughs> like, I think that... Uh, uh, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, then, like, I might be a little bit hungover someday. I'll download it again. And I'll be like, oh, never again. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think, like, I think the TikTok, the TikTok platform is amazingly curated for an individual. And, and short, if you watch it enough, is similar, is what I found. Oh really? So shorts, you just need to kind of put the put the the swiping hours in, and it'll yeah, find you you'll you'll are. find initially with shorts, it like if you watch a lot of YouTube, like oh, I do, like um, it start it it takes what you've watched in long form and starts giving okay. it to in short form, but then it starts getting good at knowing what you like. Yeah, similar to TikTok. That's when you're when you're like too hungover to download TikTok. It's like, okay, I'll just I'll just do shorts. It's just it's right <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. I already have it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Exactly. It, Don't need to go to the app store. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I guess one of the key things, though, is like creating content that's right for the platform. And again, that's something that came up at the panel um, in Kids Screen. It's like, you know, you need to be thinking bespoke to the channel, you can't just, to the platform. Like, ideally, you can't just be um, making e- either on the advertising or on the editorial side, just a one size fits all piece of editorial yeah. or copy and like putting it everywhere and assuming it's going to work. And I know, like, I know uh, Precise uh, TV have, really, have released uh, something called the the Skippable Playbook. Playbook, about, yeah. About, like, yeah. creating good ads, good ads for YouTube yeah. that will stick for YouTube. It's things like making sure the first five seconds have that hook, um, which sounds obvious, but sometimes you get, it's easy to get lost in the creative and forget that. Um, yeah. Yeah, so is that something that, like, you know, obviously that's something you're advising your, your clients on? Yes, yeah, yeah. It, like, um, a good creative is very impactful, as we all know. Um, yeah, like, if you think about the Apple adverts years ago, and you think about Nike's adverts, and a good creative can have such a big impact. I think what you're talking about, Emily, like, in terms of, I hear, I, I remember working back in Google in uh, 2010, 2015, and it was kind of like um, above the line, print, TV, uh, yeah. then digital. And digital. digital was just one line item. Yeah, and it lump. was like, uh, yeah, everything. And we'll just use the TV ad. Let's just put that in there and see how it goes. Like, I think now we're definitely seeing brands um, now realize that like within digital, which is now <laughs> the most important channel, you need creative designed by YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, so on and so forth. And yes, uh, we find at Precise TV, the skippable ad unit on YouTube is amazing. You only pay if someone views it for 30 seconds or more. But it once again, how to create an advert for a skippable ad versus like a TVC, like a traditional TV advert is very mm. different. It's all about hooking that audience earlier. In shorts and TikTok, it's even hyped up like crazy. They can skip like within a millisecond. So you need to be so on it as a brand. It's not like, you know, on TV, it's kind of like, um, I know I have these 30 seconds and the audience is sitting there or a lot of them are. And yeah. I can uh, start with my brand. I can go into this narrative nice and slow, uh, like a story arc, like a circle up in the top or a semicircle. Well, with it's totally flipped with something like YouTube. It's like start high, then build a bit of suspense and then get them again. Um, yeah, it's the skippable playbook that we came up with, which is resonating really well with toy advertising. Yeah, yeah. I think of it like, if you think of, a mo- of movie advertising, like the trailer, I and mean, you might see the trailer in theatres and you sit there captive, you can't fast forward it. So you have to go through the whole like, 
one time in the past, you know, the whole build up or whatever, right? One yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> one yeah, man. Yeah. And into the galaxy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas totally. like obviously like with, with that, that that kind of five second skippable ad on YouTube on YouTube, you have an opportunity to hook them in. And so starting yeah. off really slow isn't gonna work. Whereas with something like TikTok or YouTube Shorts, they kind of need like an ice I've I've been tracking this as regards to streaming content, like, you know. There's so you need to kind of hook them into the content as if they're as if they're watching and like you're not even like treating it as an advertising isn't helpful in that in that kind of instance. Yes. So uh, now uh, the skippable generation, I guess everything can be skipped and or a lot of like what you're consuming is um, is not advertising like Netflix and everything trained everyone that you don't need to have advertising on these platforms. I got an email last week where uh, my wife was downstairs and I was working. I got an email where I was like, you've upgraded to the Amazon package of $2.99 for Prime without ads. Mm. I was like, what have you signed up to? So I think, I think, and, and you know what was really interesting, actually, I think within the kids space, uh, I was at the two toy fairs, the London one and the German one in the last few weeks in Nuremberg and going around to like all the toy stands and seeing new toys. A lot of them in the past would have been like supported by media, while a lot of them now had like um, a Netflix sign. Uh, it was usually Netflix, like just showing that like the product is some way in the content already at scale in Netflix, whether that be... Um, yeah, some of the IP, uh, like Rainbow High, I think is one, isn't it? That has like a whole series and stuff. So I think that's interesting. Yeah, sorry, Andy, you're going to say and, something. And, that, and that's a real sea change because I remember the time when uh, a lot of toy licenses used to be a bit sniffy about Netflix because they didn't feel like they had enough data or the, they didn't yeah. have a big enough audience. And it feels like that has really flipped from yeah. from having that preference for linear mainstream tv channels to to kind of the new uh yeah. the new media platforms yeah following up on that is there any advice you'd is there any hope for the linear uh mainstream channels to be able to navigate and leverage kind of what they have within this space how do you think a traditional yeah. channel should be thinking about youtube or tiktok or those platforms yeah uh great question um how do I think? Yeah, I think that um, I think someone like the BBC, I think a lot of the yeah, I think someone like the BBC has done a great job. Like, you know, that channel, Hey Dougie, um, yeah. that was new IP that they created YouTube first uh, or not YouTube first, but like they put it up on YouTube, had its own channel. I guess they had some flexibility there with like BBC Studios and stuff um, like where's the commercial arm. And uh, like Bluey, wow, Bluey's humongous. And it's, yeah, yeah I, I think a lot of it's up there on YouTube as well, or at least the promotionals. Yeah, it is. It's big. So I think, what do I think? I think that a traditional, any hope for the mainstream, I think there is if they embrace the digital platforms, but that is hard because they know it eats their lunch a little bit on the linear side. Um, I think those audiences aren't going back to linear, but they're going on to the big screen connected TV and the BBC iPlayer, all four are an app, just like YouTube is an app. We see some yep. research, not our research, but in the US market, the app that selected the most unconnected TVs in the US is YouTube, 
26% of all apps selected is YouTube number one. So like uh, there's, uh, it's, it's hard, isn't it? When you're a mainstream broadcaster and you know, you got to be in these places, but you're also competing with them. So it's hard, but I think it, thinking about where the audience is consuming content and trying to be relevant everywhere that is uh, holding back maybe your long form content in your places, but knowing that will limit the reach. But I think there's great hope because uh, production companies, media companies, they're the best at producing content, but um, yep. they have this uh, frenemy, enemy kind of mentality, yeah. which is tough. Yeah. yeah, and I think that, I mean, I think that's kind of thoughtful partnership, as you're describing, seems to be the the best route. Uh, I remember when I worked at Nickelodeon, they, were, they spent about five years trying to sue YouTube for yeah. having Nickelodeon right, content on YouTube. And in the end, I think they quietly gave up. Uh, but yeah. that was a lot of wasted years that <laughs> they probably yeah. would have been better off putting the content on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember that yeah, case we, closed around 2012 yeah. or 2013 or something, and then they embraced it a bit more. Yeah. Yeah. And you see that a little bit, right? Like with, 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 with it's Universal Music Group on, like, did, did went through the whole oh, thing. Oh, that's fascinating with, to see, isn't with it? YouTube with YouTube back in the day, and now we're yeah. going through the same thing with TikTok. Um, and it's kind of like trying to plug, a, a, you know... A, a valley of a valley of water yeah. flow. <laughs> you know, what a time as well with the happen. NFL. They missed out yeah. with Taylor Swift for the Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah. They had bad timing there. Um but it is like it is it is tricky, but it ha- there has to be that kind of that kind of collaboration. Yeah. And I think with yeah. preschool you really see it. Like I I'm strongly of the belief that so Bluey went out on linear on Disney Channel and Disney Junior as well as hitting Disney Plus as it rolled out across the world. But I actually yeah. think that linear piece was key in its discovery because I think discovery on some of the streaming platforms can be quite tricky. Um, yeah. But it's still kind of this question, though, like of of kids six plus and what's kind of the next, like what's next for them? Because like I feel when talking yeah. about key brands for them, you know, yes, there's the influencer brands like Mr. Beast. I feel like there has there hasn't been like a big high school musical like like, you know, that, I feel like those days of trying to find content that's kids focused for that that older kids audience is tricky what's breaking through yeah. is things like wednesday you know which isn't strictly kids right it's 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 yeah I don't, you know it's it, it's it's not available in the kids section on netflix which is kind of my 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 kind of um filter as to whether it's you know kids it, it obviously has lots of hooks for kids though it's you know it's got the you know the talent like jenna ortega came up through disney channel so it, and even that, that kind of live action vibe for kids is something for that those older kids i feel is a space where there's opportunity and you don't necessarily see that on on you, you I'm, I'm not seeing much of that on youtube i know we talked brat tv a little bit dennis which is something yeah i was interested to hear that was on your radar because that's something that's yeah. only hit my radar more recently it kind of felt like real shorts content like real shorts being that new app of like kind of trashy um telenovela kind of style english content i'm not sure if that's something that's on your radar. i don't really know brat tv either so i can i think I, it's yet to hit my radar yeah, it's a, like it, 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 it hit my radar when I was at, um, at Google. They, they had a series, I think it was called like Chicken Girls. Um, <laughs> that was, um, I, I guess it was back to like, um, oh, I don't know if you've ever heard of this YouTube network called Awesomeness TV. That yeah. was, yeah. yeah. So like that company was founded by that guy who owns DreamWorks and he founded Quibi. You remember Quibi yes. that died? 
Yeah. yeah. Jeffrey something's his name. Kastenberg. So, yes. So yeah. uh, with Brat TV, they were kind of following this awesome, this TV model that actually was like uh, looking for tweens, I would say. You know, they call it tweens in the US. Um, yeah. And Brat TV was basically a company that was like starting to do more higher production quality for mostly girls, uh, tweens. And uh, yeah, it got big on YouTube and it was like episodic content. They did bring influencers into it, but it was all scripted. And um, yeah, but I haven't seen that too much on the boy side for anything. But saying yeah. that, like I like I know I brought this up already, but that Sidemen thing, I couldn't believe watching that Netflix show that there's like this thing called Sidemen Sundays where every Sunday they come out with some like a piece of content that's kind of more like Mr. Beast, like, you know, 20 minutes or it's actually an hour for them. So I guess you do see someone like Mr. Beast have like longer content and episodic and it looks more like kind of, I guess it's reality TV, but yeah. you know the person. Yeah. Scripted yeah, reality. And I suppose that's kind of a format that's come come through, you know, obviously in the past you know decade or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, which sense. is interesting. Yeah. And then one, one last thing, Andy, that you touched on earlier where just to, you were talking about at the toy fairs with Netflix and badged and you would have said that would have been maybe something yep. negative before. Like something that's happening though is like, so YouTube is the biggest platform for uh, younger audiences, like two to 12 year olds. Then next mm-hmm. is VOD. So Netflix, uh, Amazon Prime, um, BBC Disney Player, Plus. so on and so forth. Disney Plus, Disney Plus, forgot Disney Plus. Um, then we have like mobile and tablet gaming. But the one thing in that VOD section, like um, BBC iPlayer is no ads. Uh, Disney Plus has uh, ads now, but they haven't yet opened up the kids section. So they're like this kind of thing we've talked about with like TikTok and Roblox being careful the likes of Disney Plus and Amazon are also being careful in that kid space. So what that means is there's less addressable ad reach on those platforms. So it needs to be more of a content play, um, which is why yeah. the content play is so important. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. The kind of actually the fact that it doesn't have advertising on some of those platforms. Um, yeah. Actually, the content ends up becoming even more key. Yes. That was a tricky one for Disney, though, I feel, because it, I, I know when Netflix introduced their ad tier, they just said it wasn't on kids' content. But it was tricky for Disney because Moana, technically, like, is it a kid's Like, it is a kid's film. But, like, there's also, yeah. like, so many adults that are watching. You know, like, there's Disney fans and there's a huge cohort of yeah. people that are watching those those films that aren't kids, you know, and, and that's kind of the, the, the value of Is Disney, Moana is that, like, classified as not kids? It's got to be, well, I don't it's, know. no, it's a kid's film. Like, it's got to be a kid's yeah, film. Yeah, my five-year-old it's loves it. I, I've watched yeah. it a lot of times. I'm looking forward to the Moana too in a few months. The live-action yeah, remake. Massive. Oh, don't yeah. start me. <laughs> but they're, they're doing a, like, a sequel to the animation as well, though, aren't they? I don't know what they're it is. A... I just saw Moana too. Yeah, they, uh, they're, so they're, uh, and quite controversially, there's some rumors that Disney are going to be animating it in Canada rather than the US. But yeah, there's a, um, there's a Moana uh, animated series, and I believe that there's also uh, an animated sequel as well. Well, Moana was, you, their, was their biggest movie on Disney Plus last, last year, right? Like, it, Yeah, huge. Yeah. I mean, it's wow. kind of a no-brainer, really. Yeah. Such a but it was movie. Moana's older than a year old, right? 2016. Oh, way older, yeah. Yeah, wow. 
it's amazing that, isn't it? The Emily, I know you talk about this a lot in your newsletter and stuff, like repeat viewership uh, within the kids space and stuff. Mm. Yeah, my my kids is just like so big. Yeah, something can really build, can't it? Yeah. Yeah, the datification of the DVD player. You're finally finally able to see yeah. how many times the DVD is played. <laughs> I just wanted to kind of dive in a little bit more into the opportunities for advertising on YouTube. So we've talked about how that's kind of, yeah. there's been a bit of a correction on that. And and if anything, there are opportunities for creators to be uh, making money from that. But in terms of people that want to advertise to, to that audience, um, do you think that YouTube is seen, being seen as more and more as the go-to destination to advertise? Yeah, it it is definitely seen as more of the destination to be on the advertising side uh, for those audiences. Um, but like brands are always the, the one other thing I would just say about TV, like, you know, with TV, like years ago, there was big audiences. So there was like two, three million people like um, consuming the content at one, e- one time, like mm-hmm. in the UK, let's just say. Uh, I remember in the US, you used to get up to 20 million for episodes like, uh, anyway, forget about that, but two, three million. So um, it, brands, when they'd have an ad shown, they'd actually see an immediate impact because it was such a large audience at that moment in time, which is why the Super Bowl is still so valuable. 200 yeah. whatever million people viewing um, which I heard Taylor Swift got 53 seconds. It might have been 10 million worth of uh, ad slots. But anyway. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, with um, with so uh, toy companies uh, who are big advertisers in this space, like with YouTube, you actually can't really reach like 2 million like kids at like uh, like at one moment in time, it's very hard. You have to spend a lot of money to do that. If it's like within a time slot of an hour, you basically need to buy all of YouTube if you want to do that, which (laughs) would be really expensive. So uh, there's a difference. So, and this is something that we've helped a lot of brands understand. YouTube is more like a slow burner um, with advertising. So what it means is like, if you're a toy advertiser selling most of your product in November, December, you got to actually test during the summer months, figure out what works, then start in September and build. Uh, so they, the advertisers are getting used to this as well, where it's like starting earlier, understanding what's working and building and also measuring that. So we help some advertisers kind of do like geo tests with retail sales by location. If there's impact for toys in certain geos to prove how effective your advertising is. Like uh, the one thing I would say about YouTube is it's the most sophisticated video advertising platform in the world. Uh, Like there's no other, um, platform take away that audience data but like it's amazing like if you think about the signals that people give you they want to watch something or not another signal um do they click on something another signal um yeah and there's there's lots of things particularly you can do kind of in the parent space you can look at like how effective certain creatives are um versus on tv you're not getting that feedback loop really quickly so to your question Yes, they YouTube is seen as the biggest number one. People are still trying to figure it out, though. And something I say sometimes is like with TV, TV was invented in 1936. I looked this stuff up, but it's interesting. And uh, <laughs> any guesses what the first toy advertiser was on TV ever? 
Ooh. That's a fool. It wasn't Lego, was it? Or nope. It was one of the big companies owned. Mattel? Was it Barbie? Uh, uh, Barbie was very shortly after and that was like one of the biggest successes actually Barbie was then owned by a company called the Knickerbox uh, uh, something or other I forget we should be googling this in the background let me see who owns this IP first Um, it, it was Mr. Potato Head so who owns Mr. Potato no Head? Wow. Yeah, it's either Hasbro or Mattel. You, Emily, you Google it there. Um, but on Mr. Potato Head uh, was first online um, in, I, I wrote this down, 1952. So it took the first toy advertiser to be on TV 16 years. And then they started to figure it out. So the toy industry has never been like the most innovative when it comes to like new media channels. But when they find something that works, oh boy, do they lean in. So like YouTube, <laughs> as we talked about, is like coming up to 19, 20 years old. I think it's only now the toy companies are understanding the power of it and starting to do a better job. And yeah, like uh, just that, that that's the company I work at today at Precise TV. We're doing a great job of helping those companies with that transition, but they are leaning in more and more. But I would say it's similar to TV. It took a few years to figure it out. Dennis, I think you're, you might be a total nerd about this. Did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Maybe. It's so, it's, that's amazing. It's I love like it. The last 50 years of, of, of toy advertising. That's just, yeah, it's a fascinating journey. That's so fun. And thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the show and haven't subscribed yet, hit that follow button so you don't miss an episode. Thanks again. And we hope you'll join us for the next episode. Bye.